This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Off on a Friday, the first Friday of the 2023 Calgary Stampede. Welcome into Sportsnet today. It's Logan Gordon along with you from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios here in Calgary, Alberta, aka the Eye of the Hurricane that was the Calgary Stampede Parade this Friday morning. There were people everywhere. Cowboys and cowgirls. Non-cowboys and non-cowgirls. <laughs> hey, it looks to be funny. So just just people? There's a lot of people. Generally people. Some security. You know how it goes. Hope you had uh, a fun time at the uh, parade if you were uh, up and at them early. Clearing the streets here in Calgary, and now everybody descending on the Stampede grounds for the next 10 days. Concerts, music. I guess that's the same thing, depending on how you look at it. A really weird start to the show today. I mean, there's concerts. There's probably going to be some other music music happening. Food and eats. Horses and rodeo. (laughs) What a way to start a Friday show. I'm such an idiot. Oh, <laughs> man. Is that supposed to be new information? No, it's not. It's just wow. it's repeating information we already knew. Um, however, however you do stampede, uh, have some fun with it. Uh, it's a fun time in our city. People were, like I said, packing the streets today. Uh, downtown on the studio. There are people everywhere out for parade. Looks like the weather is going to be pretty incredible over the next uh, 10 days or so. Uh, we'll be covering uh, all Stampede rodeo events, chucks, all that sort of stuff into next week once things really get going. Uh, so have a fun Stampede. Have a safe Stampede, whatever you do. Uh, make sure that uh, you use an appropriate way to get home every night. That's a big thing uh, this time of year. I want you to have as much fun as you possibly can, but uh, please remember a safe way home. Uh, it's Uber, taxis, friends, it's always an important uh, thing. Uh, to remind ourselves of as we head into Stampede. Uh, welcome to the program. Taylor's here. Cam's here. Ben's here. We're uh, taking you into the weekend, the first weekend of Stampede. Lots to get to on the show today. We're with you for the next two hours in just moments. We'll check in with our NHL insider from Daily Faceoff, Frank Saravalli. His last uh, hit with the morning show earlier this Friday. And he gives us the latest on the Calgary Flames situation with Michael Backlund, Elias Lindholm, Noah Hannafin, uh, as Frank heads into the summer portion uh, of his season, slowing things down. He'll be back in the fall with us here on Sportsnet 960, but uh, not on the weekly basis that we're used to having him during the NHL season. So the latest on the Flames coming up from Frank in just moments. We'll continue our NHL off-season review for teams. We'll head to Detroit today, 
and check in on the Red Wings, one of the busier teams across the NHL. Lots of free agent signings, a couple more draft picks added to the system. Philip Zadina now officially a free agent after clearing waivers and having his contract terminated by the Red Wings. Helene St. James going to join us. She writes for the uh, Detroit Free Press. So we'll check in on all things Red Wings coming up in hour one. Hour two, we'll check in with the Calgary Stampeders. It's a game day for them. They are in Winnipeg to take on the Blue Bombers. Patty Dumas is going to join us uh, to get the latest on the Stamps ahead of the big matchup against the Western Division opponent. And uh, we'll have some fun on a Friday. Uh, get some Stampede some Stampede ideas out of the way, some must-haves uh, at Stampede, some avoidances at Stampede, uh, all of that coming up on a Friday. Thanks for uh, tuning in, whether live or on the podcast. And yes, as we continue on in the offseason here for the Calgary Flames, the questions will remain with Elias Lindholm, Noah Hannafin, Michael Backlund, until something breaks. And as you'll hear from Frank Cervalli in, in just moments here, don't know that anything's on the horizon. It'll be a talking point until something happens. But right now, at least, we're being led to believe what Craig Conroy has said publicly is, is working out that way. And that's that he's going to be extremely patient in all of these situations until the best deal presents itself or until someone like Elias Lindholm makes their final decision. How long does that go? Do they have an internal deadline? I'm sure they do. I know some people, you know, are, this is the Johnny Gaudreau situation all over. I, it's July. It's July 7th. We, if we're having these conversations in September and Noah and Elias and maybe Michael are all still on the Flames roster and none of them have contract extensions, maybe we can get into it a bit more then. But for now, it's it's wait and see. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I know waiting is the hardest part, and you get worried about those situations that have come up before. But just wait it out. I think, if again, if this leads to the Flames getting the kind of deal that they want for a Noah Hannafin or for an Elias Lindholm or, or Michael Backlund, whoever it winds up being, then I, I think it'll be worth it. And... I think Craig Conroy's slow playing this for a couple of reasons, and one of the main reasons is, is he probably has the two most valuable pieces or two of the most valuable pieces left in the NHL right now. For goaltenders, Connor Hellebuck and John Gibson are the names that are out there. For defense, I mean, uh, it's Noah Hannafin for trade, Matt Dumba is a free agent, and then it's a whole different tier of player below those two. Elias Lindholm still seems like the best center ice option out there. I think Alex DeBrinkett's the best winger option out there. So there's a lot still to <laughs> there's a lot still to be determined in this NHL offseason. And what I would say is when you have, you know, like I, I said, I I really think the Flames have two of the more intriguing and valuable options out there. I'm in no rush to make a deal just to the, for the sake of making a deal. And it feels as though that's the way it's going to go. And Hey, if it's three weeks from now or four weeks from now that we are talking about an extension or a trade for Lindholm or Hannafin, then, then that's what it is. I think that the flames understand that this is going to determine a lot of what the future looks like for this organization. 
and they want to make sure to get that right. But what are NHL insiders hearing? What's Frank Saravalli hearing around the Calgary Flames? He joined uh, George Russick and Julian McKenzie, who were live on the parade road earlier today on the big show for the latest on the Calgary Flames as we uh, continue on into the NHL's offseason. Here's NHL insider from Daily Faceoff, Frank Saravalli. When it comes to Elias Lindholm, obviously that's that's the one situation. Uh, I, I, want, I obviously want to get uh, your take on what you've heard recently, but do you really think the Flames are, are going to do this again uh, this year, like kind of history repeating itself that one of the key players in the organization is heading into his UFA season and we don't really, as of today, and that could change by later today, I don't know, but there's not a, a resolution on whether or not he's going to sign long-term, if he's going to get traded. you think the Flames are comfortable having that guy heading into the season with an expiring deal? To be honest, no. Um, I, I don't think they're comfortable with that situation. In fact, I don't think they're really that comfortable with a number of different situations. And that's why at this moment in time, they're holding out hope that they're not going to be in that situation, that they can convince Elias Lindholm and Michael Backlund and others to re-up and stay. That the one, well, aside from Noah Hannafin, the one piece that really was I guess, I don't want to say giving them the hardest time, but the most clear indication that not only did he not want to re-sign with the Calgary Flames, but didn't want to be back next season, and the one piece they had to offload was Tyler Toffoli. And once you figured that out, everything else sort of quieted down. And Noah Hannafin has made it clear, like, this has been really amicable. Um, Although he's not going to be re-signing, he's perfectly comfortable in Calgary playing out the year and seeing what happens. So that obviously isn't ideal on that front either, but at least when it comes to Lindholm and Backlund, the Flames are holding out hope that they'll be able to get something done. And, you know, I guess for me the biggest question is, since you've rolled out the red carpet a month ago now, it feels like, Um, even though it's not quite been that long, since you've made what you believe is a really significant and fair offer, why hasn't it been signed? What's the holdup? What's the wait? And I guess more to the point, if you've done what you feel like is your best, then at what point is that going to be good enough to get the player to put pen to paper? What's worst-case scenario for Elias Lindholm, um, Frank? Is it this team's in a playoff spot at the deadline and they have to trade him because they can't lose him for free? I think that's the worst-case scenario for the Flames, yes. And at that point, what you're probably looking at is similar to what happened with Johnny Gaudreau. How do you pry a piece off of a playoff team? You don't. You don't even think about it. You essentially just meander your way through the playoffs and whatever that looks like however deep or short that run is you live with what the consequences are on the other side which again going back to your earlier question is why this needs to be addressed sooner rather than later in in the case of of elias lindholm we know with what he's his track record has given him and he could likely ask for a contract north of 8.5 million 9 million if you were to play the role of Flames GM for a second, would you want to extend Elias Lindholm at that rate or something north of that? 8.5 million, 8.75 million, 9 million? I think, Julian, there's a, 
a ceiling to the ask. And in fact, like, I don't think that Lindholm or his representatives are making this about money. Like, I, I don't think it can be about money. The Flames recognize that they may need to pay, I think, a slight premium in order to keep him. But there were some rumors floating out there a few weeks ago. Oh, he's he's going to have to get to ten million or ten and a half million. And I can tell you with a pretty strong degree of certainty that the Calgary Flames aren't paying him anywhere near that amount. At some point, there's just a number that it's not going to exceed. My guess is it's probably not much higher than nine. That if they really needed to stretch and get there. The difference between eight, seven, five, and nine—you probably swallow hard and keep the player, and and make a strong statement again to your market and to your fan base that this is someone that you believe you can help build a contender around. But short of you know, not short of that, north of that, you're dealing with a number that I think makes everyone mostly uncomfortable. And I also think with full respect to Elias Lindholm and the career that he's put together, it's probably more than the market at large would bear. I say that um, knowing that it only takes one team, that if Dylan Larkin or if Bo Horvat were have potentially made it to market this summer, maybe that number does start with a nine and we're all of a sudden having a different conversation and the market price is different than the price to keep. I I recognize all those things. I just think that with this player, with his style of game, with the sort of, I don't even think it's fair to say erratic production, but there have been some seasons where the production isn't quite where you'd want it to be when you're talking about that type of price range, that it does begin to get uncomfortable. Frank, we had a little bit of fun before you came on the air. I want to ask you the question I asked the guys earlier well, sometimes. <laughs> um, wanted to ask you, uh, for over the next two seasons, uh, which contract is going to have more value? Kopitar at $7 million for two years or Elias Lindholm at 8500000 to $9 million? Ooh, That's a good question. Um, I would say probably Kopitar. I mean, he turns 36 this season, so that buys years 37 and 38. Here's the thing is, if you're looking just based on production, and obviously there's never been a drop-off in terms of Kopitar's sort of complete game. Um, he's, again, top five in Selkie voting this year. What you're looking at is a guy who's not really experienced much drop-off at all. You know, had a 50-point season in 56 games a couple years ago, and then this year... 74 points, touching almost 30 goals for the first time since 2018. For $7 bucks, um, I'd imagine that with the cap going up two seasons from now, you're probably looking at, I think it's $92 million based on the way the formula is. Probably pretty significant value there. Frank Cervalli, NHL Insider Daily Faceoff, joining us here on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar Guest Hotline, Big Show, Russick and Rose with McKenzie. 960 the fan uh frank how is the pool for noah hannifin maybe a little more shallow than what we think it is or is there a a, a good chunk of teams that are still interested in him 
No, I think there's a good chunk of teams that would still be interested. I think part of what you're dealing with now, since you're on the back end of free agency, is there's a vast chunk of the cap space allotted that's already been spent. You're looking at probably 95, 96% of the cap that's already been spent. Um, and it's actually probably even larger than that when you're dealing with cash over cap. Um, that you, you you begin to run into those issues. But I think for the right team, with the right fit, what you're looking at is a player sub $5 bucks that you'd be willing to carve out a piece or two on your own lineup in order to make something happen if cap space really is an issue. So um, I think maybe that's my one real surprise about how this last month has unfolded for the Flames, that armed with the knowledge that Hannafin wouldn't be re-signing, I, I figured they'd slow play Lindholm. I figured... Backlund, they're going to really, like, they're really confident that they can, you know, kind of turn that decision around and and find a way to get something done with their longest tenured player. I don't know if those two things will happen, but knowing that we, Noah Hannafin's not re-signing long-term, I guess I'm surprised that that wasn't one of those things that was sort of dealt with during draft week to really kind of set the compass and remove at least a little bit of the heat heading into next year. And Frank, I'm still really intrigued about what that trade market is going to, to be for Noah Hannafin. You mentioned the fact that I too thought it was, uh, during draft week that was going to happen, but since then we've seen a, a team like Buffalo try to add some pieces of depth uh, on their defensive side. A team like Florida, I mean, yes, they add, I mean, even the pieces are not necessarily at the quality of, of Noah Hannafin. That's, the cap, we still have to account for that, right? And those Florida even Pittsburgh, they were able to get Ryan Graves at a much cheaper rate than what uh, Noah Hannafin is going to get for next year. Those are at least three teams I could think of that maybe would have made sense for a Noah Hannafin trade, and they've at least tried to address their defensive uh, woes or issues, however you want to label them, over the next little while. I'm still curious about what teams could really be in with the cap being what it is, with the recent draft being behind us, and, and just Calgary just in the situation that they're in. It's a good question, and I think it's a fair question. I would say there's still probably a handful of teams that you could see making sense. Um, Nashville probably still has some money to spend if they wanted to. Still trying to figure out exactly how competitive the Preds think they are or what, where they are with their retool, because that's clearly what it's been when everyone was saying, oh, this is going to be a rebuild. Um, I wonder about Detroit. And the spot that they're in, yes, they've added some defensemen during free agency and still need to account for, you know, Mo Sider's position and all of that. Um, they're a team that I think is, is kind of, I'm kind of curious about. Um, you know, what happens with the New Jersey Devils? They've still got some business to do. Um, what happens with the Montreal Canadiens? Go through the list. Like, there are still teams that are looking for defensemen that um, I think would like to try and make improvements in that area that if they need to, like I said, would have to get creative to pull something off. And I just think the market and the time to do it was draft week. And I guess I'm surprised there wasn't more urgency in that department. 
Uh, also, you know, we talking about how you know it'd be very uncomfortable for for the Flames to enter next season with Elias Lindholm still in need of a contract. Noah Hannafin may be a little bit more mm-hmm. comfortable, but it is kind of funny to think you know we've we've headlined those guys, and Michael Backlund is still out there too. This is a player who has meant so much to the city of Calgary. He's played over nine hundred games in this market, and and I'm really curious if a contending team picks him up, and if a return is probably going to be like you know maybe a draft pick or 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 level pro or just a, a B or C level prospect who knows but i'm really curious about what the if it's a ticking time bomb with with michael backland too or what that situation is with him because we haven't really hyped him up compared to what the situation has been with noah hannafin and of course with elias lindholm yeah i think that's one of those situations where even if you're like let's say things had gone south and it became really nasty and the flames you know, gun to their head, had to make a move today to move Michael Backlund. I think the truth is, on the open market, coming off of a career year, essentially 56 points last year, I think at his age, a lot of people are curious and or questioning, can he do it again? And what does the next contract look beyond this one? Obviously, the Flames... Uh, term, I think, has been one of the big sticking points with them, uh, with some of these guys that are in their 30s. And perhaps that kind of, you know, rubs some people the wrong way, I think, is fair to say. But when it comes to Backlund now moving forward, if you're dealing with pick whatever round draft pick it is, he'd have to have essentially a season next year like he had this past one and the Flames would have to be out of the mix in order for him to really present some kind of value to you on the trade market because I think basically what I'm saying is when you're, when you're looking at the backland situation, I think he has more value to you in your current you know, mode of trying to be competitive and make the playoffs than he does if you were to be on another team and you have a, you know, a, a, a second or third round draft pick in your fold. Frank, what are guys like Chris Tanev and Nikita Zadorov worth, you think, on the trade market? Well, I think when you look at Tanev in particular, um, I think he's one of those guys that, especially in Calgary, you, you've seen the impact of when he's in and out of the lineup and how different this Flames team looks and how different it seems like they defend. Um, I think there's you know, pretty considerable value there. I think Zadarov is more of a, you know, I think he's someone that has grown a lot in Calgary, and I think he's one of those players that really got a big bump from playing under Daryl Sutter. And you remember the first part of his tenure there, healthy scratch, and Daryl Sutter really worked with him to find his game again and what makes him successful in in today's NHL. I think with the increased, um, I would say, focus on size on the back end, Zadaroff is someone that would definitely have um, interest out there, but it's someone that I think what you're dealing with is the right fit, right scenario, right situation that, you know, I think – you're looking on a lesser scale, obviously, than the impact that Gavrikov got 
in L.A., but really not all that dissimilar in terms of overall impact on the game. There's Frank Cervalli, NHL Insider from Daily Faceoff with George Russick and Julian McKenzie on the big show. All things Calgary Flames with Frank ahead of his uh, summer break here on the station. He'll be back in the fall with some interesting notes there on Elias Lindholm, uh, what's going on with his contract status with the Calgary Flames, Noah Hannafin's value in the trade market, and even a couple of those other pending UFAs at the end there with Chris Tanev and Nikita Zadorov. of course. We'll keep on top of any Flames news as it happens this summer right here on Sportsnet 960. We'll take a break, come back on the other side. Continuing our NHL off-season review, we've been to Philly, we've been to uh, Ottawa and Toronto. Time to check in on one of the busier teams in free agency. The Detroit Red Wings have added some veteran talent to their young prospect pool. Are they any closer to a playoff spot? We'll dive into that next here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Sportsnet Today, rolling on. First day of Stampede. The weather's great. We've got a busy show for you. Just heard from our NHL insider, Frank Saravalli, to kick things off on hour one. Still to come, we got a Stamps report with Patty Dumas. Stamps and Blue Bombers tonight from IG Field in Winnipeg. Taylor's got the latest on a Jays report. They sweep away the Chicago White Sox. And uh, we'll chat about some stampede do's and don'ts heading into the weekend. But right now, very happy to go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Continuing our NHL offseason reviews. There's still a couple months to go, but checking in on some of the teams from across the NHL that were very busy the last couple of weeks. And Steve Eiserman and the Detroit Red Wings classify as one of those teams. And to help us break it all down. Elaine St. James joins us. She uh, writes for the Detroit Free Press, covering the Detroit Red Wings. Elaine, thanks for doing this on a Friday. Really appreciate it. How are you? Very well, thank you. Happy to be on. Uh, Busy times uh, in Detroit. Now the draft's wrapped up. Another couple high picks for Steve Eiserman adding to the prospect pool. And then uh, a busy time in free agency. What's it been like for you uh, covering the Red Wings the last couple weeks? Well, certainly very busy in free agency, you know, a handful of signings that addressed uh, several of the needs the Wings had, uh, albeit not one of the biggest ones, which is scoring. And, yeah, a busy time at the draft as well. They did add some high picks, but I'm going to point out they still did not get to add as high picks as they absolutely need for to really kind of move the needle on the rebuild, I think. You know, a big reason why the Wings still are where they are and have missed the playoffs seven straight years now is that, you know, they haven't picked inside. They haven't picked higher than fourth uh, since they entered the draft lottery when the streak ended in 2017. And uh, fair to say one of those picks, uh, higher picks recently that we've talked about in the news cycle, Philip Zadina hasn't exactly worked out as the scoring presence the Red Wings were hoping for either. That conversation came uh, to an end. Were you surprised to see the Red Wings and Zadina split ways in the fashion that they did, Helene? Yeah, you know what? I'll give Philip Zadina credit for, I think most of the time when you hear somebody say it's not about the money, you know, of course it's about the money. <laughs> but with him, to walk away from $4.56 million, which is what was left on the salary part of his contract, is just, I think, staggering. Um, you know, he, he doesn't have much leverage. I mean, yeah, exactly. Like you said, he's not lived up to the hype of when he was the number six pick in 2018. Maybe he signs, you know, a one-year deal with another NHL team. I mean, he has to know that 
he could end up with on waivers there as well if it doesn't go well. So I just think, you know, I mean, okay, maybe he ended up in Grand Rapids. Grand Rapids is a nice city. You know, it's not like he was going to be exiled to Siberia. Um, <laughs> I just think it, it, it's staggering to walk away from, from that much money, and uh, we'll see where his career takes him. And he, he, he didn't lack for opportunity. They weren't burying him here. They mm-hmm. played him on the top line with Dylan Larkin. They gave him power play time, and he just could never make, make it work. Uh, it'll be interesting for sure, like you say, to see where he lands. And, of course, Red Wings fans will no doubt keep an eye on that to see if it was uh, something with Detroit or something different that led to that uh, divorce between the two sides. I'm, I'm curious, out of those uh, free agents that we talked about, you know, there was a couple of forwards, some defensemen mixed in there, uh, even a new backup for Billy Husso. Which of the free agents telling that uh, Steve Eisman brought in to you brings the most intrigue to this Detroit team heading into next season? Well, I think if you look at all of them, you know, maybe Daniel Sprong is the most intriguing as far as can he come in and build on his 21-goal season, one year, two million. There's no real risk there for the Wings. You know, maybe he comes in and kind of like what Robbie Fabry did a few years ago, kind of just, you know, builds his career in a bigger opportunity and and really becomes kind of part of the rebuild for them. Uh, You know, the the fact is they had to replace Tyler Rattusi, Jacob Rana, and Philip Ronick, three players they traded at the deadline. And it took both um, Hall and uh, and Gostas Beher, whose name I'm going to have to learn to pronounce perfectly uh, <laughs> over the next couple of months. That's a fool um, one, yeah. Shane, we'll just call him Shane. <laughs> yeah. uh, it took both of them to replace Philip Ronick. One of them is a right shot. The other one, uh, Shane, can play on the power play. They really haven't addressed the scoring uh, that they lost. So, you know, I mean, JT Comfer, five years at 25.5. I think that one kind of, I thought that's that's a lot to pay for a guy whose season high is 18 goals. So uh, we'll, we'll see. They look like they're going to be tougher to play against, you know, and that was a big concern of theirs after the way they got manhandled in Ottawa back-to-back at the end of February, right before the trade deadline. So, but, you know, unless they're going to bore teams to death by never giving up any goals and winning games one to nothing. Uh, right now, to me, they don't look like a playoff roster, to be frank. What's the, the messaging been from Steve Eisman and the management group in Detroit about these sort of free agent ads? Is it, like you said, is it sort of insulating the young core that they have, or is Steve looking to see a, a marked progression from his group when it comes to the results and the standings? Yeah, you know, they've they've been kind of talking about, you know, they need to score by committee, but I've heard that so often before, and it yeah. never really seems to to happen. So, um, you know, I, I think, I mean, they, they certainly want to progress. I mean, Steve's message since he was named GM in Detroit in 2019 has been, you know, pleading for, pleading for patience, and that is absolutely what's needed, you know, and uh, I would point out he waited 14 years as a player to win the, his first Stanley Cup. And in, along those years, you know, they had the 89 draft when they got Fedorov, Lidstrom, and Vladimir Konstantinov. They're never going to replicate that draft. So it's just, you know, and, and there are now 32 teams and a salary cap. So, again, I, I think it, it's just so much harder when, you know, had they even gotten to pick third this year and Fantilli had fallen to them, they would be significantly better, in my opinion, instead you know, they've had to rely on what can they find in free agency. And we all know few good, really good elite players make it to free agency anymore because teams, you know, once they have them, they lock them up. 
For sure. Yeah, it's uh, it's not the, the breeding ground for fixing your problems when it comes to top-end talent and free agency. And I'm curious, when, when I look at this Detroit team, I, I think a lot of people look at this group and you know go over the last couple of seasons and mention some of those high draft picks that we have and, and wonder if there's a, a player or two that, that Steve and this organization can look to to take that next step and sort of maintain a bigger role in the organization. If you were to point out a, a younger player or two that's sort of been in the system for a couple of years, Elaine, that could maybe make that jump for Detroit this upcoming season, who would you point to? Well, I think I would just look for Jonathan Berkman. I mean, he started last year in the minors, and then his play was just so good when he came up that, you know, he demanded to stay. I think he's going to have a bigger season. Simon Edmondson, their first pick in 2021, I think with all the defensemen they signed in free agency, you can kind of read into that. They don't think he's ready. If he has a great camp, they'll find space for him. Marco Casper, last year's top pick, uh, you know, he, he, he played one game in spring. I just think they're going to feel like, you know, he needs to acclimate to North American pro hockey in the AHL for a year. It, it's interesting. I mean, people used to, you know, complain when Ken Holland was in charge that, oh, they leave their prospects in the minors too long. But Steve Eisenman really, you know, I mean, they don't consider it too long, but they want them to be ready. They don't want to put anybody, they don't want to rush or fast track anybody. Wood Sider was a little bit different because of the pandemic, but he still spent his first year playing with the Grand Rapids Griffins, you know, and then ended up going to Sweden because of the pandemic. But mm-hmm. he didn't he didn't make the jump right away. So they're still they still really want their prospects to be ready before they start considering them full timers in Detroit. Uh, looking at the goaltending uh, for this Detroit team, it'll be year two for Billy Husso in Detroit. Uh, looks like the situation behind him will change a little bit with James Reimer coming in from the Sharks and Alex Lyon coming in uh, from the Florida Panthers. Is this Billy's net going forward and it's sort of a, a battle for who gets that backup spot between Reimer and Lyon in your mind? Uh, absolutely, I think so. I think what last year has shown kind of you know, the Wings, Huso had some injuries, and he, we, everybody thought he was done for the season, including Lalone, and then he, he comes back and plays some more. And one of the reasons they they said, do push yourself and come back and play is just to see how he handled the heavier workload because he wasn't a heavy workload guy when the Wings acquired him. And I think they're still a little bit wary. So they really wanted to shore up, um, you know, in Reimer having a backup who, you know, could play – you know, if if needed, maybe more than usual for a backup. And then they've really they've struggled to have a third string for the past four or five years that they can depend on. So that's where Lyon came in. That that you know they feel like he's he's going to be a good um, good guy to have in GR. Good for Sebastian Cosa, their supposed hopeful goalie of the future, and a good guy to kind of share the the net um, with Vilhu. So you know, it's it's interesting. The Wings play in Sweden. Um, the week before U.S. Thanksgiving, and it's they play twice there, but it's like a nine-day uh, window or something. And so, of course, they're going to have to make up for only playing twice in nine days later in the season. And so the schedule is going to get really, really compact in March, and I think that's one of the reasons they think, you know, that you just you really need minimum two, probably really three goalies that you trust in order to get through an 82-game season these days. Uh, Elaine St. James with us uh, covering the Detroit Red Wings for the Detroit Free Press. Uh, taking a look uh, at our NHL review, off-season review continues here on Sportsnet 960, the fan. 
Uh, okay, I mean, what's what's next for Detroit here? I think the fair thing to go to next would be uh, addressing the fact that Alex DeBrinkett uh, continues to be connected to this Detroit team, and I guess that sort of fits the theme of our conversation today that the Red Wings are still looking for scoring help. Do you think Alex DeBrinkett fits with this Detroit team and what they're trying to do going forward? Uh, I think he'd fit if you could get him, you know, for five or six years and around seven and a half million. If he wants, you know, seven or if he's traded and then signed here eight, eight years at closer to eight and a half, nine, I think, I think you'd be wary of that. Uh, you know, just that that's a lot of money to commit. And I think the other is just, if you're Ottawa, how do you sell trading a 40 goal score to a team that's pretty close, that, that's rebuilding as well inside your division. I just yeah. think you, you really, really have to get a big return, better than you might need from a Western Conference team in order to sell your fans to, oh, hey, why did we ship out this 41-goal score to a team that the Senators are going to be playing uh, four times a year and is in direct competition with for a playoff spot in the Atlantic division? Uh, on the back end side of things, Mo Sider is uh, in the final year of his rookie contract. He'll be an RFA next season. Where are things for Steve Eiserman when it comes to uh, locking up one of the biggest pieces for Detroit going forward? Are they going to get into that this summer, Helene, or is this something that Steve will wait until next summer to pursue a long-term deal with? Well, there, if I'm the wings, I, I think I would try and get him signed to an eight-year deal as soon as possible, uh, whereas if I'm Moritz Sider, I might want to go for a bridge deal and see, you know, how much more can I maybe make in two years when, you know, the salary cap presumably has, has gone up. So, mm-hmm. uh, but if, if I'm the wings, I mean, Moritz Sider, there's a guy who um, I would not have any hesitancy to sign for for eight years. I just think that guy is the real deal. I mean, he, he's just, he's so good. And you know, he, his numbers were kind of a little bit different this year compared to what a phenomenal rookie year he had. But he developed into a better all-around player, and I think he's just going to continue to get better and, and really be the cornerstone of this rebuild. Uh, what's left uh, on the plate for Steve Eisman? We mentioned he was very busy in free agency, came out with a couple of uh, high draft picks in Nate Danielson and Axel Sandin-Pelica. Uh, I, as I look at Cap Friendly getting ready for our chat today, Helene, Joseph Valeno is the only one I see currently with an RFA status not signed yet, uh, along with a couple of younger players in the organization. Does it feel like, for the most part, Steve's got his business handled for the next couple of months already? Yeah, he he did. When I talked to him earlier this week, he did say, you know, scoring is still something they're going to look at. So I think, you know, that that could certainly happen via a trade. But I think they might also just feel like, well, maybe they go into the season as is. Um, you know, Steve's not one to, uh, you know, to give up, to, to just get fleeced in a trade. So mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, they're going to play, he's going to play it safe and, and evaluate, okay, what's realistic here. I think one thing to remember too is Andrew Kopp didn't have a great first half, great first year in Detroit, but yeah. he had core surgery right before the season began. So I don't think we ever saw him at, at his best. And Robbie Fabry missed significant time recovering from surgery and then having another injury. So they're really hoping that, you know, those two coming in fully healthy, that that's going to make a big difference as well. It's going to be very interesting to watch. I think a lot of people have this Detroit team pegged as one to to watch for this season, given the the mix of young talent and all of the moves that Steve's made uh, this offseason. It's going to be one to watch for, and we'll see what else perhaps 
uh, Steve Eisenman has up his sleeve. Helene, thanks so much for doing this today. Really enjoyed the chat. I uh, hope we can do it again maybe when we get closer to the season. Absolutely. Sounds good. Thanks very much. Helene St. James joining us down the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar guest hotline. Detroit Red Wings beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. Continuing our NHL offseason review for teams and uh, the Detroit Red Wings. $13.5 million or so uh, on the salary cap space side of things. They have two first-round picks heading into 2024. But as Helene said there, missing out a couple of times on those high-end picks that this team really needs. And that's when you get into trouble. And a lot of people have looked at this Detroit team. Uh, Helene mentioned it either. Does JT Comfer at, at five years and $5.1 million solve your problem at the number two center spot? Probably not. It's a stopgap until somebody else in the organization steps up. They have some interesting prospects there, but no one that really is going to jump in. She mentioned Jonathan Berggren, who had a great start to, uh, to his NHL career last year in 67 games. He's a winger. Uh, Nate Danielson, uh, a guy that they just drafted out of the Brandon Wheat Kings. I, I can't imagine that he's pegged to be their number two center in a year or two. Uh, Marco Casper was the eighth overall pick in 2022. Uh, she was doubtful. He got in just one game last year, whether or not he's NHL ready. And uh, look, you can... Even Steve Eiserman can only sell the rebuild so long. There's plenty of top-end talent in this Detroit organization now, and you're starting to get into those years with guys like Mo Sider, who's going to be needing a contract next year. Once you get them signed up to those long-term deals, you want to start to see that progression, and if you can't answer the questions for scoring, like she said, you're going to be in trouble. I, I think Debrinket makes a lot of sense for Detroit in this scenario. Um David Perron's on the last year of his deal. He's 35 years old. Still been pretty productive, but if you can replace him on the right side uh, of Dylan Larkin with an Alex Debrinket, and he looks more like the 40-goal scorer we saw in Chicago rather than the complimentary piece he was in Ottawa, maybe that's the scoring boost that Detroit needs and gives them a little bit of extra time for a Marco Casper or somebody else in the organization uh, a Nate Danielson to come up in the next few years and help them with that scoring uh, presence up front because the defensive side of things, you know, most siders got that locked down. He's going to be their number one defenseman uh, for a long time coming. They just drafted Axel Sandine Pelica. Uh, they've got a couple of other interesting ones. Simon Edvin, uh, Edvinson is a uh, very interesting prospect in their organization now. So they've got some pieces there, but now you're wanting to see some progression, some movement from the team. Um, but then again, uh, I only made a good point. If you're the Ottawa Senators, how keen are you to uh, put Alex Debrinket on a division team in a pretty similar spot to you uh, and have to deal with him seven or eight times a year as a divisional opponent? So one to watch for. We'll see what happens with Detroit. Uh, really appreciate Helene jumping on with us uh, down the Atlas Peach and Sports Bar guest hotline chatting all things Detroit Red Wings. We will continue uh, to chat uh, with different uh, people from around the league, uh, jumping in with different beat writers uh, as we continue into the off season here and kind of get an early outlook on some of the teams that have been busy. We've talked uh, about maybe jumping on Anaheim, Boston over the next couple of weeks uh, just to get a feel for what's happening outside of Calgary because it's kind of been standing still for the Flames right now until something happens uh, with Hannafin or Lindholm. Um, it's kind of in status quo for the Calgary Flames who are at development camp today, by the way. They're continuing their on-ice sessions 
from Windsport. They complete their on-ice portion of it tomorrow uh, with a three-on-three tournament at Windsport. So really looking forward to uh, seeing more from the Flames' top prospects at development camp. We'll take a break. We'll come back on the other side, dump into, or jump into hour two. Uh, Patrick Dumas going to join us, get you the latest from the Calgary Stampeders. They're taking on the Winnipeg Blue Bombers for Friday night football. And we'll get you set for the weekend to come here in the uh, Calgary Stampede. It's a Friday edition, first Friday of Stampede. Thanks for joining us. It's uh, Sportsnet Today here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.